that we are um, coming into land today with our series on Ephesians. And if you've been tracking with us um, over the last couple of months, we've been working our way through um, the book of Ephesians. Um, and today is the final um, week on it. So I'm going to read a section from Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. I was chatting to um, a friend of mine the other day, They're a, a pastor, a, a priest in another church, and they were telling me um, about a baptism service they'd done just a few weeks ago. And it was for this woman who'd had um, just one of those lives that she had experienced really horrific things, ne- neglect and abuse and evil. And she was living in, in addiction with PTSD and depression. She was just really trapped in, in, this, um, in, her, in the darkness that she lived in. And she had hit this point of like total rock bottom where she didn't feel like she had anything left to to live for. And she prayed a prayer to a God that she didn't really believe in. And a few days later, walking past a church on a Sunday morning, she decided to go in. And over the course of the following months, she met with Jesus. She did an alpha course. She got to know um, Christians, people who loved her with the love of God. She had tons of prayer, but she was still caught up in this sort of darkness and evil, all this pain. And one day she was being prayed for by someone and she just said, I just want to be free. And in that moment, it was like this darkness was lifted off her. And the truth is that since then, it hasn't all been rosy and plain sailing. There's been more freedom that she's needed to walk into, more restoration for her to experience in her life. But she is a different woman than the one that walked into church that day. And a couple of weeks ago, they baptized her and she shared her story with with this church, this group of people that had become family. And everyone in the room uh, was weeping because right in front of them was this testimony, this living testimony, someone who was in darkness and is now living in light someone who had been set free and delivered. And as we come into land on, this, on our series on the book of Ephesians, I don't know about you, but that is one of the images that this book has left me with. This idea of being lifted out of darkness, being placed in the heavenly realms with Christ, and then this invitation, how then should we live? 
If this is all true, we are saved by grace. We are seated at the right hand of the Father, a holy people. How then should we live? This community of mutual submission, holy and blameless before the Lord, reconciled to God and to each other, shining like stars in the universe, pointing people to the goodness and mercy of a grace-filled God. And so as we come to these final verses of this letter, this is like Paul is saying, look, we've covered all this great stuff. We've done reconciliation and sanctification and salvation. We've we've talked about what it means to live as a a Christian community. We've we've had all this really good stuff. And and now this, this is my final point. This is the thing I want to leave you with. This is my parting shot. Finally, in conclusion, given all that I've said to you, everything I've told you, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This passage is all about how we fight our battles, how we take a stand against the schemes of the enemy, against the evil in this world. And so I guess the first thing that Paul would say to us is, wake up. You are in a battle. And we talk quite often about, about, you know, the battle, the flesh, the sin, and the world, and the devil. But I think sometimes it might be easier for us to talk about it in terms of of the internal battle. The, like, sin that we struggle against, our arrogance, or our our pride, or our disappointment. Or, Or maybe the battle out there, this kind of encroaching world that sets up idols for us to chase. But we're not always sure what to do about the battle with the devil, And this passage is a guide, it's a kind of roadmap for how to fight against evil. And the first thing that we need to understand is who it is we are fighting against. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Not against flesh and blood. This is not about how we relate to each other. This is about a spiritual war. It's a fight against the powers of darkness. And it might seem kind of outdated to us. Maybe it feels a little bit medieval, doesn't quite fit in our 2023 20, ears to talk about um, this kind of thing. And, but the funny thing is, if you look around at culture, what you'll see is, is, a, is a world that denies the things of God. And yet, if you turn on Netflix, you'll see a world that is obsessed with the supernatural, desperate to try and understand the causes of evil, what it means to have good versus evil, to understand the root of darkness. And we all can see that evil exists. Just this past week, we've had Morocco and Libya, tens of thousands of people have lost their lives. And that's just two of the natural disasters in the past 10 days. And that's before you get to the behaviour of individual people, of of sex scandals and violence or or war, genocide, global poverty. We, We know that there is evil in this world. And if you do even like a cursory read of the New Testament, it's impossible to deny that the writers really believe that we live in a world where there is more going on than we can see. Jesus sets people free from demon possession. He talks about an evil one, a thief that is seeking to bring destruction. And Paul, in his letters, he lays out this this clear idea of a supernatural force that is at work in the world, 
bringing, seeking to bring about the destruction of God's children. C.S. Lewis, in the preface to the Screw Tape Letters, um, he wrote this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve, disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. The path that we are called to walk on is not to be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy, to be aware, equipped, even armed against the works of the devil, but at the same time not to be preoccupied with it. Not to ascribe every disappointment, every sin, every nightmare we have to some great cosmic battle. Sometimes it is that, and sometimes we just had too much cheese. We're called to be fascinated by Jesus, not fascinated by Satan. And Paul paints this really clear picture of this demonic world with structure and hierarchies, principalities, powers, rulers, authorities, and dominion. And always when Paul writes about this, he, at the same, in the same breath, he also always writes about the victory of Christ. He always also points our attention to the total rule and reign of Jesus. And in the letter of Ephesians, there's this really neat little trajectory that Paul takes us on. In chapter one, Paul is making a really important point that all authority, whether human or demonic, is underneath the feet of Jesus. So he says in Ephesians 1, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet. And at the same time, Paul says um, just a few verses later that we too have been lifted out of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. But more than that, that we have been raised up with Christ and seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. So through Christ, we have access to the Father and the Spirit. We're not, we're not God, we don't become God, but through God, we are raised up, lifted, seated in the heavenly realms. And if we are seated with Christ, that everything that is under his feet, including Satan and his forces, is also under our feet. And then even more than that, in Ephesians 3, Paul says that through us, through the church, God's plan of making all things new is revealed. We become a symbol of his victory, a, a sign pointing towards the final victory of Christ. He says his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. We become the biggest advertisement pointing towards Jesus and the most significant victory in history. Humans are never our enemies. That is never the intention. But what inspires, drives, and twists them is. And over all of it, Jesus remains in control. So the battle is real. The devil is active. And then Paul goes on to lay out this picture of how we fight. What are the weapons that we have at our disposal? How is it that we are called to fight? 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And there's an interesting couple of things to know about this. First of all, and the majority of these are, are armour, and so they are protective rather than offensive. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And the second thing to know is that this armour is front-facing. So there's nothing here to protect our back. And what we can extrapolate from this is that we are called to face forward. This is not a posture of retreat. This is not a message of Paul. This is not Paul saying, there's an enemy, it's big and it's scary, run away and hide. Quite the opposite. Paul is saying, you are fully protected, you are covered, you are safe, and so you can stand. And so maybe today you've come in here and you know that you are in a battle. You've come in very aware of the conflicts in your life places of pain and disappointment, maybe things that came up during that prayer time earlier, chronic pain and sickness, the never-ending wrestle just to get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. You've come in feeling weak. And, and first of all, um, welcome to the club. We are weak. We can't do this alone. We do it with each other, holding each other up when we stumble, and we do it in the power of God. Put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So that, it's the armour of God that makes it possible to stand on the battleground, to stand firm. And this isn't an if evil comes, this is a when evil comes. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The emphasis in this passage is on standing. Paul says four times, stand, stand firm, stand your ground. And, and he's making in part a reference to a well-known Roman military um, notion that, that they, their strategy, and one of the reasons they were such a, such a successful army, is because they had this model of making these tight legions where they, the, uh, the, each person stood close to each other they stood firm, they locked arms, they locked shields, and they became this impenetrable force. And what Paul is saying is that is what we are called to do, to stand our ground together, to lock arms, to lock shields, so that we might be an impenetrable fortress. This is how we stand. So it's okay if you feel weak. There's space for that. Let those around you lock shields with you, lock arms with you, knowing that we stand because of the armour of God. It's his power. So taking a little look at the um, armour that Paul lays out, we're going to start with the, with the one offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in the New Testament, there are two uh, Greek words that we translate as word. There's logos and there's rhema. And Logos refers to two things. It's, it refers to the person of Jesus. So John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Logos is also the recorded Word of God. So it's Scripture, it's the Bible, it's written down, it's unchanging, it speaks to all people for all time through all of life. 
Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, my logos, will never pass away. And then there is the rhema word of God. This is a word in season for a particular reason or purpose. It could be the voice of God speaking through the Spirit in a moment of prayer and worship. It could be a prophetic word given to us by someone in prayer ministry. Or it might be those moments when you're reading the Bible and it's like a verse leaps off the page to you. The Logos is like the whole and the Rhema is as a part of it. So a rhema word will never contradict scripture. And that's one of the ways we can test and weigh is a prophetic word of God. Does it point me towards Jesus? Is it in line with what the Bible says? But it's a moment when God is speaking directly to you in in a specific moment of time about something specific. And in this bit of Ephesians, when Paul says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it's the Greek word rhema. It's the spoken word, not the written down word. And it's one of the reasons why singing worship is so important and why it can be such a powerful place of encounter with Jesus. Because when we speak out the words, when we're singing songs, what we're doing is we're speaking out truth. We're literally declaring gospel truth. So the other parts of the armour of God that Paul lists are more protective. We've got the uh, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. And what they are all about together is about knowing who God is, about knowing who we are, our identity in Christ, and then holding firm to the truth of what Jesus has done. And it all starts with this belt of truth. It's like the thing that holds the whole thing together. The whole armour together is wrapped and cinched in with truth. One of the attacks of the enemy is to whisper lies. Jesus called him the father of of lies in John. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he, he is a liar and the father of lies. The insidious whisper of lies, you're not good enough, you're, you're not loved, you'll never be good enough. Or the lies of shame, the distortion of who God is. God doesn't really love you, he hasn't answered these prayers. God is mad at you. Paul is saying the one thing that can hold it all together is this belt of truth. I am the way, the truth and the life and the truth will set you free. So put on the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness being made right with God and with each other, knowing that your sins have been forgiven, knowing you've been welcomed home. The great exchange protects your heart, covers your heart and protects you from wandering. We give Jesus our ruined, torn, dirty clothes of sin, the sackcloth of ashes, and he gives us the breastplate of righteousness, a garment of praise and joy. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's about being quick and nimble, but grounded in the truth of the gospel, a gospel that brings peace, a gospel that we build our foundation on, and a gospel that we are called to share. The gospel of peace. Once we were sinners, now we are forgiven. Once we were in darkness, now we live as children of light. And wearing the helmet of salvation. It's being sure of our salvation. 
So that intrusive thoughts or, or lies and, and doubts cannot rob us of our peace. Knowing that we have been set free and the knowledge of our salvation protects us from attacks of the enemy. Wear the helmet of salvation with confidence, sure in who God is and what Jesus has done. And then finally, taking up the shield of faith. And I, and I love this one. Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is this mixture of firm conviction on what we know to be true and hope in what we have not yet seen come to pass. Hope in the redemptive work of God. This, this is the faith of, that protects us from the arrows of the evil one. I always think of the Furies in Dante, if you know that image, where they're, they're hurling accusation and calling for death. And as these arrows come towards us, we rebuff them with faith. We rebuff them with a knowledge of God's goodness. And it's not about how big or polished or eloquent your faith is. Faith the size of a mustard seed can cast a mountain into the sea. It's about where your faith is, who your faith is in. And that truth, faith in Jesus, is a shield that can not just protect us, but actually extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The lies and accusations of the evil one have no power when faced with the shield of faith. When I... Um, was, was a teenager and into my early 20s, I, I used to um, have uh, really struggle with panic attacks. And um, as I got a little bit older, they got quite um, debilitating. And, and it used to be um, something that really kind of was a real big factor and feature of my life. And along the way, I'd also imbibed some quite bad theology at various points. And somewhere along my, in my head, I'd associated these panic attacks with attacks from the enemy. And the thing is, Maybe in part that was what was going on. That might be in part true, but it also wasn't the whole story of what was going on. And I, I developed this, this narrative, and I was a student at university and very involved in kind of doing mission work, and we'd go out um, and do some evangelism in the clubs um, in the evening. And, and as I was coming home from these clubs, what would be going through my head was, I've done, some, I've done something for God. I've, I've stepped out. I've, I've talked about Jesus, so I'm going to... I'm going to be attacked now. I'm going to be attacked by the, by the enemy and, and Satan is going to come and get me and I'm going to have panic attacks and, and, the, and the fear of the panic attacks and the fear of the fear of the panic attacks led to this vicious cycle where that is, of course, what ended up happening. And I'd got this thing in my head that I'd put these two things together and I'd created this, created this whole worldview that was, was leaving me really trapped and I went for some prayer at one point, and this woman said to me, just really simple thing. She said, there is nothing in you that is dark. There is, oh, excellently time to sneeze. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> there's nothing in you that is dark. There's only good in you. So this fear that you're going to get overwhelmed is not of, of God. And in that moment, in that, that rhema word, everything changed for me. Because this fear of the fear of the enemy was holding me so captive. And I realized this, this truth that, that, um, is, is that Paul writes, that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 
And that's what this whole message of, of the armour of God is. Yes, we are in a battle. And yes, sometimes things do come at us. And we need to be wise, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. We need to be aware, informed, equipped, but not afraid. Paul starts this whole section by saying, saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It isn't in our power. It isn't because we've been able to do the right things. We've been super self-disciplined and never made a mistake, never committed a sin. But it is in his power, his power at work in us and through us. And more than anything, his power that defeated Satan at the cross, that conquered death and ushered in this new kingdom. There's a, a great bit in, a, in a, the Narnia film um, from a few years ago, Prince Caspian, if you've seen it, um, and know the story. It's right towards the end when, um, when the baddies, the Telmarine army, are charging towards uh, the river to attack the Narnian army from behind. And they get to this river, and there's, there's one bridge across, this one um, fort across, and they, they're on the bridge is Lucy, this young girl just standing there, and she slowly pulls out this dagger and holds it up. And this army stop. And there's this moment when it looks like this army is stopping because of this little girl. But then the camera pans out and you see what they see, which is that right behind Lucy is Aslan. And it's the sight of the lion that causes the army to stop. And it's ultimately the lion that defeats the army and wins the war. Lucy was able to stand in front of the charging army, still and calm, filled with faith and peace, because she knew that right behind her was the Lion of Judah. And and C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia, was part of this group, you might have heard of them, the Inklings, along with J.R.R. Tolkien, who were some authors in the early uh, part of the 20th century. And they were two authors who'd experienced firsthand the horrors of war. And they were using fiction and analogy to try and make sense of the evil that they'd seen. And and I sometimes think that Tolkien has got a better understanding of of evil. In The Lord of the Rings, he writes about this, this ring. And it has this obsessive, kind of compulsive, addictive thing that, that calls out to anyone who's encountered it, that whispers lies in their ear, that tempts and manipulates. It's like it's got its fingers around the heart of anyone who's gotten too close to it. And I think I've seen that in, in my life, in the world around me, moments when I've experienced evil as this sort of insidious, manipulative force. Or people I love who struggled with addiction, and no matter how hard they try, it feels like it's got this, this grip on them. Or ways in our lives where we are drawn to darkness, to, to shame, feeling like evil and darkness calling out to us. But, but Lewis, Lewis had the really um, great understanding of the incomparably great power of Christ the victor. And so in Narnia, in Aslan, we have a character whose very raw shakes the earth. It's always Aslan who wins the victory. Other characters have a part to play, but it is Aslan who actually comes up against evil and conquers. And just earlier in in the Prince Caspian scene, uh, Peter is trying to use the, he's tempted to use the power of the white witch um, to win the war. And Lucy reminds him, have you forgotten? It was Aslan who defeated the white witch, not you. And so we put those two together, and this is what Paul is writing about. 
and intentional evil that is personified, active, strategic, with tendrils that wrap around, and a God that is infinitely greater and more powerful, whose power has defeated all evil, whose work of redemption will rid creation of all evil, and in whose mighty power we can trust. And our invitation is to be like Lucy, to face the attacks of the enemy filled with peace, knowing that the Lion of Judah is right with us. And we can't do it alone. And Paul ends this section with, uh, with an invocation to pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. That list of armour, we have a part to play in it. We've got we to gotta choose to lift up that shield. We've got to put on that helmet. But we can't do it if we think it relies entirely on us. Pray, pray in the Spirit. It's the Spirit breaking into our lives that enables us to hold on to truth, to share the gospel with others, to hear the words of God through the lies of the enemy. It will only ever be because of an act of grace, a work of the Spirit. In this dark world where evil operates and skirmishes continue, but where the victory is sure and final, our calling is to stand confident in the gospel filled with the Spirit, sure of our salvation, a people of faith and hope, declaring fearlessly the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm.